Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. And for those who are following along, this is the sister episode to Why is Reinsurance Good for the World, titled Why is Reinsurance Bad for the World? I'm trying to do an evil voice, but it sounds a bit weird. <laughs> we, we, we put on red lighting for this episode as well to, to make it seem a little bit evil. In jest, obviously, we love reinsurance yeah. far too much to we, say bad things. But This probably won't be a terribly long episode because reinsurance is so valuable to the world as we've discussed. And if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to that first and then <laughs> come back. We'll wait. Um, but I appreciate that you wore a hoodie. Yeah, this as well. To show well that if, you're I, if I ever wanted to go like Dementor style, I had this. <laughs> uh, um, but I, you know, when sort of diving into this, we talked about all the things that make reinsurance good in in the last episode, and, and how it can help support economies and other things. The the first thought I had is to where is reinsurance bad? And I think well, there's a bunch of interesting areas of, of challenges that the industry faces, um, but was the sort of and I don't necessarily know if this is a an issue that the industry should try to tackle against, but it's inherently capitalistic. Mm. And as a result, you know, they the industry doesn't go into areas that they can't make money on, that they don't support classes that aren't profitable and and nor should they. Um because it's they they're not they're not they're for profit organizations, not not for profit organizations. Um but you see this come out in in really horrible events. So for me, one that really hit home was like 9-11 and, and all the controversy around whether things would or wouldn't get paid and all the nuance and fighting over is this one event or two or similar. But that inherent need to generate underwriting profits and, and revenues and things can sometimes leave a bad taste around like, oh, it's just corrupt to try to take the money. They're not trying to really support this. And, and I don't know how you would fix that or if they should fix that, but that's one of the, the big challenges that I've seen with any sort of financial service sector. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, we're able to claim, you know, reinsurance as being the, guard, the guardians sort of thing, except when they don't. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, you know, whilst we can, to some extent, preserve the, the beauty and economic impact of, of reinsurance, Insurers don't have great reputations generally in terms of trust and in terms of how people feel about them. And a lot of the reason that insurers refuse claims is because they know that they're not going to be able to claim them out of their reinsurance, for example, because they know that the reinsurers are going to be equally uh, unwilling in, at times to, to pay claims. I, and, and that's not even to your point, you know, because they are untrustworthy, it's because they've got to make enough money to justify their cost of capital and so they have to include exclusions and be very careful about what they agree to cover mm -hmm. and the the map of how much of loss there is in the world versus how much of that loss is insured and reinsured is is not at all i uh, comparable in, in some ways the, the, the we talked a little bit about the protection gap in the last episode there is so much loss and harm i guess and, and all sorts of things that are not protected by these guardians of guardians and therefore not guarded by the <laughs> original guardians um, and that that is a real problem because it's you know it's not it's not just there to be uh, 
generous and and yeah. kind and, and looking after people at, at the end of the day the, these are private companies that want to make money out of of doing this out of pooling risk yeah well and, and i think there's really interesting areas around this um in the u.s certain states like florida for example it's a it's fascinating because the what insurance will and should cost is unaffordable for most families in that part of the world or part of the country um and then you have all these like government regulations around how much insurers are allowed to charge but if if they know that those homes are going to get hit with a hurricane every four or five years and the damages act like they're trying to figure out how they make the unit economics work for these for these properties and they're sort of getting their hands tied by governments which rightfully want to sort of protect their constituents but are sort of left going well the insurers can't do this and the reinsurers don't love going into that area if they can't get their you know income up so that that is one of the really tricky areas for me around where the industry kind of falls down um but i know there's also other areas around so you know the value chain and the complexity of cost etc that i think is also difficult for the space yeah absolutely and, and i think maybe there'll be some time at the end of this to talk about how we as an industry get past some of these issues but in some ways we're almost at risk of worsening the situation because the although there's you know huge benefits to technology and data becoming available and so on arguably while in some cases it might give people confidence to provide reinsurance to areas they didn't provide reinsurance to in other areas it's going to shine a light on on things and, and make people reconsider offering protection and taking away their capacity and taking their capacity elsewhere i and and i think i think uh, paula who professor from uh, of, of reinsurance strategy came on our, our podcast recently set this out really well in terms of highlighting the potential armageddon scenario for the future of the industry where I, it just is no longer able to support the things that it used to support because there's not money to be made in it. Yeah. I, so yeah, very interesting starting case for where reinsurance is yeah. not necessarily the best thing for the world. Well, and and we've talked about ILS and, and this pool of alternative capital that's kind of at the moment come pouring into the industry and looking to, to make returns. Um, but if economic conditions shift elsewhere all of that money people might look a f you know further afield and go well reinsurance or insurance was fun for a while but look at this new investment class it might be the metaverse or nfts or any manner of absurd you know new thing but if, if they're seeing that there's enormous gains to be made elsewhere and reinsurance is returning or in the insurance sector more broadly is returning quite nominal um returns to investors that those investors will take their money elsewhere and and that's a really interesting challenge and you, as as paul sort of pointed out as it begins to unravel the f the fewer players that remain will have to sort of charge more to make it work for them which makes it more inaccessible for the end consumer or increasing protection gap all of these things begin to unravel um so it would it, you're it's fragile even it's it's really robust um in so many ways but you can if you pick away at it, it's a huge ball of string. But if you start picking at it, there's there's a there's a a scenario, but whereby a lot of things could happen over a number of years that could threaten it. And I, I think not least again, maybe this is a different angle now to talk about. i um, in terms of how reinsurance is maybe not having a positive effect on on the world is 
in its lack of efficiency nowadays and, and historically, I reinsurance can make insurance a lot more expensive. And, you know, part of that is understandable. Part of that is, you know, you've got to get more experts involved. You've got to get additional uh, mouths fed in the chain. Mm-hmm. I, but I think many would be fair to argue that currently that amount is more than is needed at times, especially when you look at expense ratios and the, the cost spent manually administrating things as they go through the system uh, that really should by now, you'd think, be automated. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we have this this effect where the insurers already, you know, are running at an uh, expense ratio of, in some cases, you know, 35, 40%. Uh, meaning that that's 40% of what's paid by the policyholder that doesn't go out to be paid on claims. Yeah. So only 60% of what they put into the pool is actually left to then be paid by claims. And then after that, you know, you've also then got the same thing happening again with the reinsurers. Uh, I'm simplifying a bit. Some of it will be taken into account with seeding costs and so on. But, yeah. uh, but effectively, you know, you've got the expenses of all the people in the insurance chain, the brokers, the MGAs, the underwriters, and then you've got the expenses of the reinsurance brokers, the reinsurance companies, the retro brokers, the retro companies, the, the cap modelers, the services that are provided. The, so many different uh, parties involved in uh, oftentimes a quite legacy dependent way that is not optimized to give customers of insurance policies the best deal they possibly could get if it was more pure risk exposure. Yeah. Well, and and we talk about the role that technology will play in this space. And it's not the one that removes those functions, but it's one that streamlines the intellectual capacity of those individuals. So we, we look at things like actuaries who are like cleansing date fields and reorganizing currencies, like unbelievably smart and talented individuals who are left, as you said, with these sort of legacy tools and then menial tasks and and because it requires so many of them to do that work, that aggregate knock-on means that this firm requires 15 actuaries to be doing this because the time involved is, is huge when if it was more efficient, it might be five or six actuaries doing that work or three actuaries doing that work because the data has come in in a way that they can instantly begin to interrogate or they're leveraging, um, as Dickie in a previous episode mentioned, leveraging sort of data scientists or um, quants to help really improve their understanding of a risk without sort of additional heads always being involved. Because right now it's like a brute force model. And and I think if we can make it where it's more streamlined, that individuals can f- leverage tools more effectively, still get to the same end result, but you'll strip out a lot of that inefficiency, which could reduce the the, the amount required to make profit reduce the overall price to the insurers, ergo reducing the price to the end client. Um, but you, you, you mentioned um, sort of the knock-on effect of pricing as well with as as certain market conditions change at the reinsurance space, like how that knocks down YouTube and insurance spend. And that chain is is difficult sometimes for the end consumer to to deal with. Absolutely, which again accelerates the protection gap, yeah. the, the earlier point we were talking about. Take, taking a slightly different attack I, about how reinsurance can be damaging, I guess, for the world. I, we we talked in a, in a previous episode about ESG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about how 
reinsurance is used to capitalize not only very beneficial projects that otherwise couldn't happen, but also a lot of projects and activities that maybe ethically people would have concerns about continuing to to happen. I, I think this, there's some really interesting ones around. I obviously oil and, and gas and, and, and so on and, and uh, fossil fuel I based means of energy production. That, that's a very well covered area, but there's all sorts of niches beyond that as well in terms of uh, the, the amount of the industry that takes place in Caribbean islands where <laughs> there's maybe less rigorous tax applied, for example. There's all sorts of things that yeah. uh, people could shine a light on and maybe find uh, less uh, ethically robust than they could be. Mm -hmm. um, I think like all companies, the reinsurance industry is now getting to grips with more than just are you insuring fossil fuels, but also are you insuring uh, supply chains that are slavery free? Are you insuring um, activities that are you know, good for the world in, in any shape or form? I think one of the really fascinating examples that got investigated even some 20 years ago was uh, kidnap and ransom policies. The idea that wealthy individuals or influential individuals might get kidnapped and and have to pay a ransom to be released back. The risk that that ransom would then be used to fund terrorism mm -hmm. or other activities that were very damaging was perceived as quite huge. So there's actually a full investigation launched by a few governments into was the reinsurance market effectively funding terrorism accidentally by paying the ransoms of people who got kidnapped. Yeah. Um, yeah, so some really fascinating sort of ethical trade-offs in terms of should you be reimbursing or putting things back in their place yeah. where they're not necessarily, you know, going to result in good things for the world. Yeah, well, and I'm I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners kind of like me are looking at this going, but you can't always stop all these things. Like you, you want to have protection mechanisms in place to protect a family if someone gets kidnapped or like have all these things in, you know, in place to provide that protection that we've found to be so valuable. But you're right. There's all these hidden knock-on things that sort of lurk there. Um, and and it's very difficult. We talked about this in the, in the ESG episode of whilst the insurers might want to move away from certain mines or similar, at the same time, the insurance industry in those sectors protects the individuals that work there. The mine is still dangerous whether for that individual who wants to go home to his family, whether the reinsurers want it or not. So they, whether, whether coal is good for the environment or not. But so you're trying to unpick what is, what is quite complex nuance there. And, and at the very end of the chain, reinsurance sits very similar to the really big banking sectors where once you go up enough and you sort of distill it out far enough, um, there sort of lurks the 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 cost at that level, and and it's once you sort of really shine a light on it, you're like, oh, but they funded that thing for this, or they supported this thing via this other channel, and I and I don't know how you cleanly unpick all that whilst keeping the overall mechanism in place, and and that's the world that reinsurance also plays in is is that kind of are we accidentally doing really bad things? because we can't prevent it always. And if, and going aggressively into removing ourselves from that 
has sizable knock-on effects that we wouldn't want to potentially create. So it's the industry wrestles with that a little bit. And I think the industry's moral compass is, is really tuned into a lot of these things now. So they're they're wrestling internally with, with how they do some of these things. Indeed. And you spoke of the word moral, mm. which reminded me actually of a, a really interesting concept that's also enabled by insurance and reinsurance, which is moral hazard, I, which I thought would be a fun thing to introduce our, our listeners to because we haven't introduced that term yet. I, but moral hazard is this idea that people behave differently when they know that the risk of their actions is, is being borne by somebody else. Mm -hmm. I, so in some ways, insurance and reinsurance enables people, you know, as we talked about, to take great risks, to do great things that they wouldn't otherwise do. But in other cases, it also enables people to do bad things that they otherwise wouldn't do if they knew that the risk was on them and them alone. I, we, we talk about, you know, people needing, you know, in some countries with very rigorous, I, standards in their insurance warranties and, and contracts and so on to enable a payout I insisting on things like sprinklers being included in buildings to enable fire insurance in other countries in other environments that's not necessarily the case and some pe some organizations some individuals deliberately don't put in place uh, risk mitigations because eh, the insurers will pay for it yeah and in doing so they put you know workers lives at risk properties at risk, assets at risk that they probably should have taken responsibility for protecting, but didn't because, yeah, you've got insurance, we'll be all right. So the availability of capital to cover these these yeah. risks sometimes does actually exacerbate bad behaviors yeah. uh, amongst organizations and, and individuals. So we, we were going to do an analogy battle for why reinsurance is bad. I'm going to seize this moment because you've just given me mine. <laughs> so I will start and let you let you think of yours. Reinsurance is bad because, analogy, reinsurance is bad because it's giving the world a rental car. <laughs> you, you, don't get in, you don't get into the rental car and go, I'm going to drive responsibly and do all the things. Like You get into that thing for a week and you're like, it's, it's a complete freebie. right? You're going you're gonna to gas it way too hard. You're going to hit the brakes way too hard. You're going to drive more aggressively than you might otherwise if especially if you get on an open road or you get it like on the autobahn or on you know route 66 in america or similar um and, and you don't and and when you return it with the full tank of gas <laughs> but essentially everything else is sort of like that's your problem now if i've if i've ruined the transmission or if i have a you know messed the alignment all up someone else will deal with that later i'm going back home my holiday's done <laughs> that's sort of what reinsurance kind of enables is saying go a little bit wild not too wild don't get yourself killed but you've got a little bit more space to play with here i think that's a very very good moral hazard example they maybe it's just me I, i'm really cautious when i've got like hired cars or things i'm more more careful than with my car i interestingly but yeah. Everyone else is always telling me that you know, a higher car is the fastest car in the world. Um, <laughs> but I'm not so sure. For me, it's, I really don't want to crash it if it's a higher car. Yeah. But anyway, um, to counter my analogy in this analogy battle, I, is that reinsurance, when it's being bad, is a lot like a, I don't want to include a brand name here, a very powerful speaker system. If you're playing good music, you're really, really loud. You make a lot of people happy. You let people yeah. hear things that they otherwise might not have heard. You're playing bad music. You're ruining lives. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's happy with that outcome. Yeah. 
Um, but you're effectively, yeah, I could have used a ton of examples, digital technology, venture capital, the internet. We're, we're giving leverage to something yeah. and not necessarily being particularly discerning about yeah. who you give the leverage to or for what activities we give that leverage to. I, I, I love that analogy, actually. Um, living in London, uh, the other week I was in New York. But when you go, you're, you're somewhere. Jet set lifestyle, though, Jared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, commercial airlines for the win. Um, but I was I was in one of the stations in New York, and I don't know the New York system at all. But there was a performer, like, singing who was exceptional, right? You sometimes go on the streets around London, or I've seen this in Sydney, chat setting lifestyle <laughs> um but where there's a performer who's brilliant just you want to stop and listen and give them money and buy like they're ridiculously good but some of the times <laughs> to your analogy that person is atrocious at this thing and they they shouldn't be singing in a bathroom not to mention like the venue they've sort of carved out in your life you're trying to commute and i, I like that a lot because it when it's good it's beautiful and you were exposed to something you wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to hear or similar. But when it's bad, it's like, oh, that was deeply unpleasant. <laughs> there you have it, thanks. Um, oh, did Cody give you the one? Cody's giving oh, it, he's giving it to me. <laughs> yeah. i got to get that tiny little trophy now. It's because Cody doesn't like music. <laughs> Cody's like, I like silence only. <laughs> <laughs> No, silence is the enemy of good podcasting. Podcasting. There we are. As is bad pronunciation. He's just <laughs> filtering through jingles too much. And he's yeah. just over it. Uh, well, Cody. But a, sh a short one, time. I think, because yeah. um, there's unbelievable upside. We both are huge fans of this industry. But we love this space to be able to talk about where are their challenges, where are their areas to improve. And I think the industry does a pretty decent job at owning its position there and owning its impact and, and wrestling with how they how they do this thing, how they they balance the light and the dark of, of where their power is. Yeah. With great power comes something, something. Exactly. <laughs> and it's one thing that does make me proud to be a part of the industry is is just how many people are forward thinking and, you know, for every person who says we do it like that because we've always done it that way, mm -hmm. there's two or three people who are now saying, We've got to improve. We've got to be better. We've got to, you know, change these behaviors, these habits, these crazy expense ratios yeah these horrible manual processes and find a better way of doing it yeah uh, it's, that's yeah always reassuring yeah and it circles back to why it's good yeah because right? if if all of those areas improve everything we talked about in what makes the industry good oysters and and it, you know so it's it's a super exciting thing it's it's balancing those things but i think on the on the whole you know the industry airs very heavily on providing huge amounts of good for the world but it, we would be um, remiss to not at least touch on where there's challenges and where there's areas that we can be better and where we are bad. <laughs> I'll leave the hood down for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time we'll be back on track with more upbeat reinsurance news. But there you are. You've heard all the bad bits now. So yeah. you can come in feeling like you've just spent an hour meditating. You yeah. know, we only did well, 20 minutes or so. Well, I mean, rejuvenates you for more than an hour. Just the sound <laughs> of our voices. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thank you, everyone. Look forward to speaking to you next time. <laughs> yeah, I can tell.